Det er Solotis Skændelandsens podcast, and it is the 1st of March 2021. The time is 20.11, and it is Monday. Now you have to excuse me if I uh, sound a bit off today, because I have had an operation in one of my teeth, so it is not so um, comfortable for me to talk. But nonetheless, you need to have your hour of podcast And I also need to make an hour podcast. It makes me, it makes me feel more happy and more content with life, because I usually put words uh, to how I feel and how how my everyday uh, life is going. So how is my everyday life going? Well, of course, uh, tomorrow I'm going to be talking about an education. Uh, in a factory, and I hope, of course, that I will succeed and get this uh, education up and running. And of course, also, we have had a small opening of society under this lockdown, not a big one, but a small one, nonetheless, and we are free to open some of the shops again, but uh, some of the school children are still at home, being homeschooled, which is, of course, not so good. And they are still uh, fear-mongering uh, <laughs> very, very much. Uh, and they are still saying that if we do not keep these things closed, then society will collapse, of course. So constant fear-mongering is, of course, the name of the game. And I've been explaining many times that uh, I do not participate in it, i do not have a dog in the fight, so to speak. Uh, I just um, simply decide for myself what I want to put through my eyes and ears, and I want to put good and uplifting words into my eyes and ears, uplifting things through my eyes and ears. So let's just start by doing that. Let's just start by reading out loud from the book healing your emotional self. And of course, we are still battling some of these negative emotional scars that perhaps have been put on us by our father and mother during our childhood or adolescence. So, we have come to the hypocritical shaming parents. Parental mirror, you are bad or you are unacceptable. And I have to, some, I just need to go down here and highlight it. This, this is this what I'm going to read today so that I can see it more clearly. Otherwise, this white on black paper, it's, it can be a bit troublesome to, to read. So let's just go a bit further and see how long time we have left. Yeah, and we have come to number three. So let's just move back here. We come to hypocritical shaming parents. Parental mirror, you are bad or you are unacceptable. Stephen grew up feeling that both his parents didn't like him very much. 
Oh, sorry, I have to change the scenes here, as I usually do. So let's just take on a scene that is pleasing to the eyes. Stephen grew up feeling that both his parents didn't like him very much. Our home was a very cold place Stephen shared with me during our first session. My mother didn't want to spend time with me. She said I reminded her of my father, that I was stubborn and opinionated, just like he was. She always looked at me with disdain, and if to say, you are so miserable, I don't want to be around you. His earliest memory, sorry, his earliest memory is of being in a crib, screaming at the top of his lungs. He felt he had done something wrong and was being punished for it. His father was a strict disciplinarian, and Stephen always seemed to be in trouble with him. He often shamed Stephen because Stephen didn't meet his, ex meet his expectations. I tried to be perfect so I wouldn't disappoint my dad and so I wouldn't get punished. But no matter how hard I tried, I never made the mark. Stephen was a bedwetter until the age of 10 and felt a lot of shame about it. His mother constantly complained about having to wash his sheets. Eventually, Stephen began to view himself in the same way his parents did, as a bad kid. Who, who is, was, wasn't acceptable. Sorry, who I was wasn't acceptable. His mother also became verbally and physically abusive towards him, especially after she and his father got a divorce. She used to call me a loser. When my dad left, it became obvious that she didn't want anything to do with me. The last time his mother beat him, he ran away from home and never returned. He was 15. He ended up moving in with some older boys he had befriended. I always uh, felt like I was under my parents' thumb when I was at home. With my friends I felt freedom for the first time in my life. I didn't need a mother or a father. I decided I'd raise myself. And that he did. He became very demanding of himself. He did well in his last years of high school and even went to, uh, on to college, paying for his tuition by working at a grocery store as a bag boy. Stephen built a fortress around himself to prevent himself from ever getting hurt again. When I met Stephen, he couldn't cry, even though his wife was threatening to leave him. I don't know why my wife married me in the first place. I'm just no good, he told me at our first session. The sad truth was that Stephen had punished his wife away, sorry, had pushed his wife away because he was so afraid of losing her and so confident that he was not worthy of her. How parents shame their children. Sometimes parents deliberately shame their children into minding without realizing the disruptive impact shame can have on the child's sense of self. Statements such as, you should be ashamed of yourself, or shame on you, 
are obvious examples. Yet because these, ki- these kinds of statements are overly shaming, they are actually easier for the child to defend against than more subtle forms of shaming such as contempt, humiliation and public shaming. For example, behaviors that is acceptable at home is suddenly seen by parents as bad when they are in public. Or parents seem to be ashamed because a child is not adhering to certain social norms that he is completely unaware of. Such comments as, stop that, you are embarrassing me in front of everyone, not only causes a child to feel exposed, judged and ashamed, but also burdened him with his parents' shame as well. There are many ways that parents shame their children. These include belittling, blaming, contempt, humiliation and disabling expectation. Belittling Comments such as, you're too old to want to be held, or you're just a crybaby, are horrible humiliations to a child, When a parent makes a negative comparison between his child and another, such as, why can't you act like Tommy? Tommy isn't a crybaby. It's not only humiliating, but also teaches a child to always compare himself with peers and find himself deficient. Blaming. When a child makes a mistake, such as accidentally hitting a ball through a neighbor's window, he needs to take responsibility. But many parents go way beyond teaching the child a lesson by blaming and berating their children. You stupid idiot, you should have known better than to play so close to the house. I am going to have to pay for that window. Do you think money grows on trees? I don't have enough money to constantly be cleaning up your messes. All this accomplishes is to shame the child to such an extent that he cannot find a way to walk away from the situation with his head held high. Blaming the child like this is like rubbing his nose in the mess he made, and it produces such intolerable shame that he may be forced to deny responsibility or find ways of excusing it. Contempt Expressions of disgust or contempt communicate absolute rejections. The look of contempt, often a sneer or a raised upper lip, especially from someone who is significant to a child, can be a devastating inducer of shame, because the child is made to feel disgusting or offensive. Having an overly critical parent, one who always finds something wrong with the child, guarantees that the child will be constantly subject to shame. When I was a child, my mother had an extremely negative attitude toward me. Most of the time, she either looked at me, especially expectantly, as though she was saying, what are you up to now, or with disapproval or disgust over what I had already done. These looks were extremely shaming to me, causing me to feel that there was something terrible wrong with me. Humiliation As Gerson Kaufman stated in his book Shame, The Power of Caring, there is no more humiliating experience than to have another person, who is clearly the stronger and more powerful, take advantage of that power and give us a beating. 
I can personally attend to this. In addition to shaming me with her contemptuous looks, my mother often punished me by hitting me with the bracts of a tree, and she often did this outside in front of the neighbors. The humiliation I felt was like a deep wound to my soul. Disabling expectations. Appropriate parental expectations serves as a necessary guide to behavior and are not disabling. Disabling expectations, on the other hand, involves pressuring a child to excel or perform a task, a skill or an activity. Parents who have an inordinate need to have their child excel are likely to behave in ways that pressures a child to do more and more. According to Kaufman, when a child becomes aware of the real possibilities of failing to meet parental expectations, he or she often experiences a blinding self-consciousness, the painful watching of oneself that is very disabling. When someone is expected, when something is, is expected of us in this way, attending the goal is made, in, is made harder, if not impossible. Yet another way that parents induce shame in their children is by communicating to them that they are a disappointment. Such messages as, I can't believe you could do such a thing, or I am deeply disappointed in you, accomplished by a disproving tone of voice and facial expression, can crush a child's spirit. So, of course, these are the negative aspects of parental guidance. These are things that if a parents use this to their children or on their children, the child will grow up um, mistrusting everyone and also mistrusting themselves, not trusting or wanting to trust others. It could be a side effect of these bad parental uh, advices that comes from parents who lack a knowledge of how to raise a child properly. So it's very important that, of course, I'm reading this out loud, so I cannot say that this is going to be a very happy podcast, a very uplifting podcast. But nonetheless, it's very important that if we realize, if we are parents and we listen to this critique, and we can also discover in ourselves if we have a tendencies for either one of these um, aspects of being a parent, that we stop doing it, and that we maybe even ask forgiveness for what we have done to our child, showing that we have made mistakes in our past can actually help cope and deal with the emotional wounds that we perhaps have caused our child. Of course also, if you are a child and you have experienced some of these bad behaviors from your father and mother, it's also very important to realize that it's not your fault. It is because many, uh, uh, many people who have been raised by these kinds of parents tend to blame themselves, but it's very important that there's no reason for you to blame your parents, sorry, yourself for your 
parents' bad behaviors in the past. The mirror that criticizing and shaming parents hold up to their children. Overly critical parents can destroy their child's confidence and self-esteem and devastate their self-esteem or self-image. Instead of motivating children, overly critical comments tend to destroy a child's will to succeed and his capacity to change and deprive him of motivation. Like Stephen, a child who is shamed by rejection, mockery or expression of disgust or contempt will often shrink from contact with others. He may seek invisibility in order to feel safe. He grows up feeling unlovable because he was taught that it was his fault that his parents did not love him or that his acceptance was conditional depending on whether he performed to his parents' satisfaction. Because shame is so debilitating, sorry, it makes sense that he would do almost anything to avoid it. Human beings strive to stay in control. We are raised to believe that we are, res- res- sorry, we are re- responsible for what happens to us and that we can control our own lives. When something goes wrong, we tend to feel ashamed about the fact that we have lost control over our lives. This is especially true of children who, instead of simply believing that something bad just happened, tend to believe that they somehow caused or contributed to the event and are therefore responsible for them. Being victimized causes us to feel helpless, and it is this helplessness that leads us to feel humiliated and ashamed. As protection against these feelings, we may take personal responsibility for our own victimization. Becoming shame-bond. Sometimes a child has been so severely shamed or experienced so many shame-inducing incidents that he or she becomes what is referred to as shame-bond or shame-based meaning that shame has become a dominant factor in the formation of the person's personality. Shame-based people suffer from extremely low self-esteem, feelings of worthlessness and self-hatred. They feel inferior, bad, unacceptable and different from others. They are often taught that they are worthless or bad by hearing adults say such things to them as You are in the way. I wish you were never born or you never amount to anything. Shame-based people are commonly survivors of severe physical discipline, emotional abuse, neglect and abandonment, which all sends the message that the child is worthless, unacceptable and bad. These acts also convey the message that the adult will treat you any way he or she wants because you are a worthless commodity. Many shame-based people were also humiliated for their behavior, being chastised or beaten in front of others, being told what's wrong with you or what would you precious teacher think of you if she knew who you really are. Last but not least, shame-based people often had to endure shame-inducing traumas like child sexual abuse. Shame-based people tend to defend against any feelings of shame with anger, whereas people 
Sorry, whereas most people react with anger whenever they are made to feel humiliated, devaluated or demeaned. Shame-based or shame-bond people tend to be extremely sensitive and defensive. They go into rages when they feel criticized or attacked, which is often. Because they are so critical of themselves, they believe everyone else is critical of them. And because they despise themselves, they assume everyone else dislikes them. If you are shame-bond, one teasing comment or one well-intentional criticism can send you into a rage that lasts for hours. Because you feel shamed by the other person's comments, you may spend hours making the other person feel horrible about himself by dumping shame back on him. Another way shame-based people use anger as a defense is by attacking others because they have a chance to attack them. It's as if they are saying, I'll show you. I'll make you feel like shit because that's what you think of me. Shame-based people feel very vulnerable underneath all their defensiveness. If you are shame-bond, you may also use anger to keep people away from you, your vulnerability, by raging against them. In essence, you are saying, don't get any closer to me. I don't want you to know who I really am. This type of raging works. It drives people away or keeps them at a safe distance. Of course, this also makes you feel even worse when you realize that others are avoiding you. Rage. Rage occurs spontaneously and naturally following shame. It serves a vital self-protection function by isolating the self against further exposure and by actively keeping others away to avoid further occurrences of shame. Extroverted children are more likely to express rage at being shamed, while introverted children often tend to keep their rage inside, more hidden from the view of others. Humiliation can be a fertile breeding ground for hatred and for revenge-seeking. By hitting one's oppressor and nursing revenge, Fantasies by hating one's oppression and nursing revenge fantasies, the shame and wounded person can salvage something of his or her dignity. To do otherwise, to give in to the power of others, may feel to some like a reluctance of integrity and, in doing so, a loss of self-respect. A related way that victims suppress their feelings of helplessness is by identifying with the aggressor. We find this phenomenon to be particularly common with boy victims. In most societies, it is not acceptable for men to be perceived as victims. Because of this, boys tend to blame themselves and even convince themselves that they caused the behavior in the abusive person. The boy may also come to identify with the aggressor, that is, become like his abuser. The only way left for him to discharge his shame and aggression is to do to others what was done to him. As Gerson Kaufman explained in The Power of Caring, if rage emerges as a strategy of defense, what we will see is an individual who holds onto a rage as a characteristical style. 
this manifests itself either in hostile towards others or bitterness. Although this hostility or bitterness arises as a defense to protect the self against further expressions of shame, it becomes disconnected from its origin source and becomes a generalized reaction directed towards almost anyone who may approach. Exercise your shaming experience. If you, re- if you recognize some of or all of the examples of parental shaming listed previously, this exercise will help you further identify and process what you personally experienced as a child. Number one, make a list of experiences in childhood and adolescence that shamed you the most. Number two, write down how each of these experiences made you feel. Number three, how did you react to the shaming experience of your childhood? Did you blame yourself? Did you become angry? Number four. How do you think these shaming experiences have affected your life? Write down your insights. The self-absorbed or narcissistic parent. Parental mirror. You don't matter or you are invisible. So of course, let's just take a small break now from the book and analyze just what we have read. Because it was a quite a mouthful. Um, I would say that um, it can be a bit troublesome to go deep into who you truly are as a human being and start working with yourself because it's, it can be traumatizing. It can be very traumatizing because your parents' behavior could have been so traumatizing for you that these traumatizations lie so deep in you that perhaps they have been a part of your personality for many years. Perhaps you lack some social skills or you, you tend to push people away because you think that as your parents have been to you, other people will also be, so you push them away. It could also be that you um, show signs of anger towards other people and by doing so you also push them away. But then you get to feel more lonely and sad inside when you do that. So it's very important that if you recognize anything that I'm reading out loud, that you search or seek professional help, of course. Uh, Seek a psychiatrist, someone who can talk to you about what has happened and also can guide you. Because uh, I know, of course, it says, yes, you just write it down and and everything is going to be okay. But in many occasions, that's not going to be the case. So you need to have a professional that knows how to how to stay, how to guide you 
through this very emotional experience that you are going to have when you start looking back at your childhood. So, so very important that you search for or seek professional help. If you have any of these things happening to you or happened to you in your childhood, so that you do not only work on yourself with yourself, but have a person who can guide you and can give you some advice that perhaps uh, this book or myself couldn't give you. And these uh, professional advices that you can receive from a psychiatrist, if you use them properly, you are going to start working towards forgiving what has happened in your past and in the process also forgiving yourself. Because if you have a lot of shame in you, that shame has been put there by your parents and of course realizing that come to coming to the realization of that it can help you cope and deal and say to yourself that the shame I'm feeling is put there by my parents it is not reasonable for me to feel ashamed about who I am anymore that perhaps I need to forgive myself and forgive my parents for what they have done. But also moving forward is very important. Seeing light at the end of the tunnel, of course. And of course also using your newfound knowledge, as I hope my podcast would enlighten you in some way, put or share a, a shine a light uh, on what has happened in your uh, childhood and adolescence also. And perhaps you can see now that perhaps it's not so so difficult to be me. It's not so traumatizing and shame-filled anymore because now I can actually see what has caused me to feel this, uh, these bad, um, bad things in myself, in my soul. And by working your way through it, working on the, to, on the other side, you will find that happiness awaits you, love and kindness awaits you, loving, loving and kindness towards yourself, from yourself is very important that you search your, for yourself when you meditate, as I've been explaining many times, and that you start to work on your inner critic, work on your that voice that constantly criticizes you, because a lot of the times you will find that that critical voice is actually the critical voice of your parents. And by accepting that, that fact, and lowering the volume of these, this bad influence of this inner critic can actually make you shift your focus 
onto something else. And that something else should be to love and take care of yourself, to find friends that also love you and accept you for who you are, and truly wants your happiness also. And by working slowly and surely away from the negativity in your life, you will see a light on the end of the tunnel. And this light can actually be a beacon for you. It can actually guide you into a more happy place in your life. It can actually help you cope and deal with the stresses that you have had previously in your life. So so very importantly that, because when I read this, I am not going to be very happy, as you can probably tell, because I realize that a lot of people that I meet uh, on my way have had these experiences from their parents, more or less, of course. So I also need to forgive other human beings for who they are, because perhaps they are molded by their parents in a not-so-pleasant way. And perhaps they also have these thoughts of inadequacy or shame in themselves, and they perhaps lash out in anger towards you. So very important that we forgive other people their bad personality traits, because otherwise we should not expect other people to forgive our bad personality traits, because we are all in this together. We are all humans searching for love and kindness from ourselves and from others. And finding it's very difficult. I'm still searching, of course, and I, and I know, and I know a lot of people are. A lot of people are searching for uh, true love. They try to find it by finding a lover, a confidant, someone who they can trust and share their life with so that they do not feel so lonely and sad inside. But perhaps their loneliness and sadness does not disappear just because you find someone, uh, a soulmate of yours, that you can share your life with, your thoughts and ideas with. So perhaps you have to be willing to work on yourself, work on who you truly want to be. And I know every person wants to be a loving and caring and kind human being that sees other humans as what they truly are. People who deserve loving kindness, people who deserve other people showing them loving kindness. And by showing yourself loving kindness, you can start also by showing other people loving kindness. And this showing of loving-kindness and receiving loving-kindness from others is actually going to help better your mood. It's actually going to 
help your self-esteem, believing in yourself, being one of those people who constantly is going to be happy every time that person wakes up every morning. Of course, I'm not saying that we are going to be happy people all the time, but maybe 80 or 90% of the time, that would be something very pleasant to uh, look forward to if we could if we could do that so let's just analyze of course i'm not saying that everyone has these parents <laughs> in or have had these parents in their life these negative parents in their life but perhaps you have had parents that have had some aspects of it and even the small aspects of it uh, could have affected you in a negative way um, about how you view yourself and you view others. So let's just read on here. Self-absorbed or narcissistic parents, parental mirror, you don't matter or you are invincible. Some parents are egocentristic, meaning that their needs, wants and beliefs are always more important than their children's, or anyone else for that matter. These parents have little or no sense that their disregard, active or passive, for their child is teaching her that she is not worth much. Such treatment tends to result in either self-hatred or an idealized defensive sense of self that leads to frustration failure and unhappiness for the child. My client Sarah describes her mother in this way. My mother was completely self-absorbed. Everything centered around her, her needs, her interests, her ideas. Most of the time I was invisible to her. I could be in the same room with her and she wouldn't notice me. If I needed anything, she acted as if it was a huge imposition. I didn't dare interrupt her when she was busy or she'd snap at me and make me feel like I was being selfish by bothering her. The only time she seemed to validate my existence was if I drew some positive attention to myself. As a little girl, if someone told me I was cute, my mother would beam with pride and make some comment about how much I looked like her. When I discovered I had a talent for music, she told me I had gotten it from her. As far as she was concerned, there was nothing I achieved on my own. It was either because I inherited it from her, because she helped me, or because she made it possible. Like a self-absorbed parent, a narcissistic parent is only interested in what reflects on herself. Her needs are all-important. Nothing and no one else counts, including her children. But narcissistic parents take self-absorption to an even greater extreme. Everything a narcissist does or experiences is seen as a reflection of self. Therefore, her children are perceived as her possessions, useful to her only if they can provide something she needs. Admiration from others, validation that she is is a good mother, or someone who will adore her and put her on a pedestal. 
narcissistics enjoy the power they have as a parent and use it to build up their own shaky egos. Mason came to see me because he wanted my help in breaking away from his mother. He was 25, but had been living on his own for only six months. When I left home, my mother acted as if I'd stabbed her in the heart, Mason laminated, as I did what was... as... so all I did was what kids are supposed to do, grow up and become independent from their parents. To make matters worse, Mason was an artist, and his mother had acted as his manager for many years, doing all the legwork of getting his paintings in galleries. I am very grateful for all my mother has done for me, but frankly, she did it more for herself than for me. It made her feel good about herself for raising such a child prodigy, and she took most of the credit for my career. You should hear her talking about how much she did to encourage my talent as I was growing up, and what hard work it was getting people to take notice of my work. Now that's now that I am on my own, she feels uh, threatened. I'm showing her I don't need her, and she doesn't like it. <coughs> Mason was describing a typical narcissistic mother, chronically cold, but at the same time overprotective. She invades her child's autonomy and manipulates him to conform to her wishes. She rejects all about him that she finds objectionable, putting him in the anxiety-ridden position of losing her affection if he expresses dissatisfaction. Psychological health comes from the experience starting in early infancy of parental acceptance. It comes from learning that although you are not perfect, you are still worthy of love. Children need to know that all that they are, both good and bad, naughty and night, nice, smart and stupid, is acceptable to their parents. But children of narcissistic parents do not experience this kind of acceptance. Instead, a narcissistic parent rejects everything about her child that she finds imperfect or objectionable. She has extremely high expectations of her child and constantly work on improving him. As Alan Gollum wrote in her classic book, Trapped in the Mirror, adult children of narcissists in their struggle of self, the child of a narcissist, has rejection as her birthright. Because a narcissist's parents unconsciously despises himself due to his parents' rejections of him, he cannot accept his children. His attitude, a variant of the old Grok Marx addicts, I would not join any club that would have me as its member, because I would not love any child who would have me as its parents. Therefore, the narcissistic parent is most demanding and deforming of the child he identifies with most strongly. In its extreme, narcissism becomes a character disorder. Someone with narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, as described in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder, DSM, 
1.5 has the following characteristics. Number one, an inflated or gracious sense of self-importance. For example, exaggerated own abilities and achievements. Number two, a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success, fame, power, beauty, and perfect love, uncritical adoration. Number three, a belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be appreciated and understood by other special or high-status people. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Number five, a sense of entitlement that is, unreasonable expectations of being treated especially favorable or automatic granting of his or her own wishes. Number six, explosive in his or her in interpersonal relationships, that is, takes advantages of others to achieve his or her own needs. Number seven, a lack of empathy for others, is unwilling or unable to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Number eight, is often envious of others or believe that others are envious of him or her. Number nine, arrogance or haughtiness is behavior and attitude, sorry, in behavior and attitudes. In addition, those with NPD or strong narcissistic traits will exhibit the following. A tendency to feel raised with little objective causes, a readiness to treat people with cold uh, indifference as punishment for hurtful treatment or as an indication of the fact that they have no current use of the person, a tendency towards severe feelings of inferiority, shame and emptiness, a need to be looked at and admired, exhibitionism and a tendency to over-idealize or devaluate people based largely on a narrow focus. Narcissistic parents have an investment in preventing their children from becoming separate individuals. They do not recognize that their children have their own needs, feelings, desires and perceptions. For example, these parents believe their children should always be as happy or as miserable as they are. When a child does not share their own emotional moods, it is taken as a sign of disloyalty or insensitive. Sorry, insensitivity. Children of narcissists are trained to distrust the reality of their own thoughts and to allow others to think for them. Because a narcissist attempts to define his children's reality, he tells them that uh, what they are feeling and thinking often creating great confusion in the child's mind. Any movement towards autonomy on the part of the child is greeted by the parents' pain, resentment and anger. Children of narcissists often feel they do not have a right to exist. As Alan Collum so equally stated in Trapped in the Mirror, their selves have been twisted out of their natural shape since any movement towards independence is treated as betrayal and something that can cause the parents irreversible harm. (laughs) 
the mirror that narcissistic parents hold up to their children. The child of narcissist become the career of both his parents' rejections, imperfections and his parents' gracious fantasies. This creates a self-image that is extremely contradictory. He is a miserable failure who will never accomplish anything, and at the same time he is capable of total perfection and admiration. The child's inner self is treated as identical with his external behavior and the product he creates. He is barked with criticism, which he inevitably comes to believe. On top of all this damage, the narcissistic parents frames his comments in such a way that he implicates the child's inner self. It isn't that he got a bad grade on a paper, it is that he is a failure. As a result, the child cannot be objective about what he does and cannot utilize criticism effectively. It hurts too much to take in. As a result, children of narcissists often have serious problems with performance. Because of their fear of failure and a damaged self-esteem, they find many ways of hiding. Although adult children of narcissist parents may achieve competence in some areas, they usually achieve only a small measure of their true potential. They are slowed down, constricted by the lack of confidence their narcissistic parents showed in them and by their own defenses against their parental criticism, control, manipulation and rejection. This is how Elan Column describes it. One terrible defensive outcome is to settle into an emotional robotic existence in which they feel neither the pain of childhood nor the realizations of life's pleasures, feeling, feeling, le- feeling less and neutral. We differ to the parents' prohibitions of our becoming a separate person. Let's just take a small break now. Yes, and I'm back again. Let's just take, we do not have uh, so much to read uh, anymore here. Number one, write down each of the negative mirrors your parents held up to you. While you may relate to many or even all of the descriptions or examples, is there one that you resonate with more than any other? Number two, write a detailed description of the way your parents treated you, including any behaviors on their part that led you to feel inadequate, incompetent, unloved, shamed, worthless, alone or helpless. And now we come to number three, your body as a mirror. But this is, of course, for a different podcast. So let's just close this one here. So, in conclusion, was this a very happy podcast? No, <laughs> it was not. Uh, and of course, I hope when we read on in this book, it becomes a little bit more of the happy side. But of course, uh, if we have any one of these parental, you could call it, or what you could call it, uh, disadvantages or uh, something from your past that that you resonate with in this book, I will of course highly suggest that you take these advices. And of course, I'm not going to just point 
the finger outwards, I know also that there's a lot of things that I need to work on and accept and and work my way through uh, that I have had in my past, that my parents uh, had treated me in a not-so-kind way. At least one of them did. But working, I'm... Um, working my way through it is also a process that helps me cope and deal with what it is like to live right now. So, because we can many times be trapped in always thinking about our past, thinking about what has happened in our past, or being anxious about the future. And we also should be aware of the fact that we are actually living in the now. Right here, right now. What are you experiencing? Are you happy and content with life? Can you analyze your way through uh, some aspects of your life that you can improve in the future, or not in the future, but right now, so that you can improve the experience of the future? I would highly suggest that you write them down and do something about it. So, being content and happy with life, I know, of course, a lot of people have very difficulty experiences this, experience this right now, but it's very important that we make an effort to cope and deal with stuff that has happened in our past, but also the pressures of society today that we realize that a lot of the bad thoughts that we have does not only come from our parents or any other bad experiences that we might have had. Of course, we have also, many of us have many good experiences from our parents, so we should also be aware that the book here uh, comes into the very extreme uh, incidences of uh, parental misguidance. And of course, I hope that a lot of you out there has only have had a small fraction of it in your childhood. And we should also accept the fact that there's only one person that can live your life, and that is you. So accepting that fact also means also that you have the power to change your life to the better but you need to take action yourself. There's, any, there's not anyone else that can do it for you. So, if you want to be a singer, for example, well, you need to sing, you need to practice very, very many hours a day. If you want to be a writer, you want to be able to write many hours a day, making it a habit, so to speak. And this is true in all aspects of life. I am a welder, so the first time I started welding, it was just practice and practice and practice and practice. And eventually I became better and better at it. Uh, and I have now come to a point where I can weld almost anything. So it depends on the task at hand, of course, it also depends on your striving towards your goal. 
if it is something that you are burning with sensation about are you something that are you, sorry are you someone that truly can see your goal and are also pursuing it because if you are not pursuing your goal well then it just becomes a goal that you are not going to achieve in your lifetime and then you need to find a different goal that could perhaps make you happy so finding a life purpose is also very important but also finding true happiness right here right now perhaps meditating on loving kindness meditating on the fact that you are alive that you are a loving and caring and kind person who wants to better yourself and other people's lives if you meditate on that for two hours every day i guarantee it that you will start molding your mind in a vast different different direction uh, or mindset that you have had uh, in the past but it's up to you of course and of course it's also up to me it's up to me to change my personality to the better and by doing so by making a true effort into becoming a more loving and caring and kind human being truly caring about other human beings well-being makes me i can say for myself of course makes me a happier person than i was yesterday and i also hope that you will join me in this journey to love yourself even more and love others even more than you did yesterday so this is uh, Kenneth Anderson's podcast i hope you love each other and are kind to one another and i hope that this podcast was not uh, so negative uh, that you are running away but you are um, coping and dealing with some of the stuff that um, that were talked about here in this podcast and you are willing to accept the challenge it is to perhaps accept that you have had perhaps something in your past that you need to work on so this is Kenneth Anderson signing off and i hope you love each other kind to one another and of course you meditating on love and kindness until the next time we meet again this is Kenneth Anderson signing off it is the 1st of march 2021 the time is 21:18 and it is monday bye